Grace on Fire, episode 95. Warning. Warning. Religious people may get offended. Listening discretion is advised. Go to MyGraceNation.com for safe listening instructions. What's up, Grace Nation? Coming back to you on the show today. Let me grab some water here. Gotta wet my whistle. And hello, Grace Nation, and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Smitty, a.k.a. the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, and I am your online pastor, and my goal is to raise ambassadors of grace by changing the way evangelicals love, think about, understand the gospel, particularly on how we wrestle with the issues of our day mainly, looking at how we approach loving LGBTQ plus people and families, And I'll tell you what, it's great to be here with you on the show. Thanks for listening to this. I'm always encouraged by uh, people who respond to the show. So I've got a couple shout outs today. Got a shout out to DeAndre down in South Florida. DeAndre, thanks for reaching out to me over the holidays and saying that uh, you've been listening to me. Thanks so much for that. Also, I got a shout out uh, to some dear friends of mine, Tim and Janice. Thank you also for believing in me and and just walking by my side. It's so great to have you, uh, particularly with Grace Nation. So on today's show, I'm going to freestyle a little bit, uh, mainly because I haven't prepared any show notes. Um, and what I'm actually going to do today is is I'm not just going to sit here and rant for, for 35 or 40 minutes. I'm actually going to share with you the sermon I preached this past weekend at Redeemer Church. And, and the reason why I'm going to do that um, is because I shared... Uh, with my congregation, which I consider you part of that congregation. Uh, I share with my congregation um, just just my theology of justice. And it's really beginning to develop in my mind as the gospel, as I'm reading the Bible in, 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 in almost a, a different way now, a way that I've actually never read it before. And it's really exciting. And, and I actually uh, am, am going off script here a little bit already, and, and I don't want to do that. Um, now, I have to say this. I usually don't mix my sermons in with my podcast. Um, and the reason why I do that is because it's, it, they're different formats. Uh, it's a different audience. Um, you, 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 don't, you may not even fit or even fit in with the, uh, the dynamics, the demographics of my congregation. Um, and, and you know what? That's cool. But sometimes, sometimes there's things that I do inside my congregation that I want to share with you, Grace Nation. And this happened to be one of those. It's, it's me wrestling through as a preacher and as a pastor on how to preach justice and even how that came about. And as I think about the questions that we have uh, crafting side B allies in the church, that one of the things that we have to wrestle down to the ground is the fact that as the church, and I'm talking about conservative folks now um, in a variety of congregations, uh, we haven't we haven't practiced justice at all. We don't actually even preach about justice. And so we're going to uh, do that um, this morning. Uh, this morning, it's morning when I'm recording this. And... Um, I'm just going to share with you what I did uh, this past Sunday. And so I hope you'll stay tuned and listen to it because I think it's really, uh, really neat. The other reason why I'm doing this is because actually what's happening in my own heart, and and I could just share this, is that my ministry at Redeemer Church and my ministry here with Grace Nation are beginning to merge together. And that's exciting to me. I mean, it's just so exciting to be a part of something that is that is that is sort of converging together. 
And sometimes that doesn't happen. And I'm fortunate because I have, well, I'm blessed. That's a better way of saying it, right? Um, I'm blessed because I have a board that has stood beside me uh, through the through this process and said, we believe in you. We believe in the gospel that you're preaching. And um, we, we want to walk by your side. And I got to say, that's awesome. And, and, you know, I think that when... When that happens in the life of any pastor, what I can tell you is, is that it's energizing. Even in the face of daunting circumstances, it's very, very energizing. And so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. And now let's get into the topic of the week. I tell you what, I, I have struggled this week. I have struggled so much. Um, there's the 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 mafungus is going through our our family, right? You know what that is. You don't really know what it is. All you know is that it, you're sneezing and everyone's been sick and ill. And and so um, the good news is I have hand sanitizer up here. And so just in case you were concerned, uh, I'm ready to go. Charlene's back. Charlene, it's good to see you out of the hospital. And uh, antibiotics are amazing, aren't they? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And Joey and Cameo, how are you? It's good to see you. Baby's okay. We just want you to know we've missed you. We love you. And then Tim and Janice uh, sent me a text message. They're home from Mexico, and they have the flu. So we're going to continue to pray for them. And that's just sort of what's been happening, right? And so many more things. I say all that to gather us together as a congregation this morning to look at what our uh, series is. And what I've done is I've been uh, looking at our core values, and I've said there's three of them, and you can see them on our banners uh, that we have hanging here, that those core values are compassion, justice, and love. And last week we looked at the first of that core value of compassion, and we looked in Mark 1, chapter 40, verse uh, or Mark 1, uh, verses 40 through 45, and we saw that amazing vision of Jesus and how he heals the leper. That is to say that the gospel writer Mark describes Jesus, and he, he looks at the leper, and he, he says, and with compassion. Wasn't that awesome? That was such a cool, cool um, story. And so I was, I was looking at this sermon last week. I realized that I didn't actually tell you what the value is. And so I, this morning I'm going to read it to you so that you know where we're coming from. And so here's compassion from Redeemer. At the heart of our understanding is God's compassion for the world, demonstrated by sending His Son, Jesus. He modeled this virtue by declaring the gospel to the elite and common, educated and uneducated, wealthy and poor of his time. Jesus also demonstrated care and concern for the sick, spiritually oppressed and marginalized people. So we intentionally seek to be compassionate, a compassionate people in all that we do. And I want to suggest to you this morning that that flows out of my own heart, that we're a people of compassion. But what we don't want to be is a people that are just compassionate, right? Then we looked at that problem last week where we said, well, how do we deal with compassion and how much do we go? And so this morning, we're going to take it to the next step and we're going to look at justice. Because justice, beloved, is one of those things that I hear today. It seems to be the heart cry of a generation. Where is justice? Where is justice? 
Now, the problem with justice is that justice means different things to different people, does it not? I mean, I want to suggest to you this morning that, that trying to even come to a grips of what that means is that we, we, that we will hear conflicting points of view. Karl Marx said that the greatest justice, injustice in the world was the fact that uh, only a few owned everything. And so he looked at economics and economic injustice and sought r- solutions there. We see the outcome of what happened with that. We can look at other different models that try to address injustice in the world, but beloved, what I want to do this morning is go deeper and to see what the Bible actually has to say about it. And you know, as I thought about it, I believe that the problem with the word justice is that it's based on the experiences we have in childhood. So I'm going to give you four magic words that any of you with, with, uh, that are parents or if you, you've been around children, you know what these four magic words are. Ready? That's not... Yeah. You say four, well, remember that's as a conjunction, right? So that is not fair. That is not fair. It's not fair. And my question for us this morning is, where does that come from? How is it possible that our six, seven, eight-year-olds, our four-year-olds are masters at inequity? They are immediately understand what it means. That's not fair. What is it about the human person that when they're born and they arrive, that they have mastered the subject of justice already, and they know when they've experienced injustice? What is that about? I want to suggest that it probably comes to the very heart of the problem of what it means to be a human being. And it's, I want to suggest that it's deeply ingrained within all of us. That is that all of us, that all important sense of self, self-protection, self-identity, right? Ego, whatever you want to call it. It's this, this idea of something that is wrong that has happened to me. As we grow in life and we accumulate experiences, excuse me, <clears throat> as we grow in life and we accumulate experiences, we learn more and more about injustice and justice in the world. And I want to suggest this morning that all of these things, no matter what we have heard or, or said, what I want to invite you to do today, this morning, is to take whatever you think justice is and just set it aside for a moment and let's look at what the Bible says. Because the Bible is our source and authority of our faith. And believe it or not, you would be shocked to see how much the Bible speaks about justice. And it will surprise you. Why do I even spend any time? It it, it was interesting. Christiane and I were talking, so you can blame her about this. Um, Hey, Christiane, it's good to see you today. But she had actually said that, you know, in the church, that she hadn't heard, you know, uh, conservative, perhaps evangelical churches spend that much time talking about justice. And if we did talk about it, it was always in the context of, you know, going and helping the poor or doing something like that, right? Justice. But I want to expand this in a much deeper way. To look at justice, not so much as something that we do, but at the very character of God. And that I want to suggest that flowing out of God is justice. That if we understand that the very core of our faith is built around this concept of justice. And so I'm going to expand us a little bit this morning 
Now, where did this come from? Well, it was interesting. Uh, you'll remember last summer, I went to uh, a conference in uh, Boston. It wasn't a conference. It's more like a small workshop. Um, it was about the same amount of people at that workshop that was here. And I went to this conference, and the idea was to better learn how to love LGBT people. And the concept of justice came up. Now, remember, these are conservative evangelical ministers just like myself. And the leader of the workshop said that every time that he talks about justice, that it immediately gets pushed back. And I said, well, why? He said, because that word is just has so much uh, connotation to it today. But what is interesting about the word, beloved, and what I hear so often, particularly from folks in this church, is that this seems to be the word of a generation in their 20s and 30s. Sometimes they're called millennials, but whatever. They're called that this is the, the justice generation, that they're, they're wanting to see this. Unfortunately, the church has a PR problem. And the church has a PR problem that, that unfortunately, the church has been viewed as hating a place that sends out hateful messages that says you're not welcome. Is it true? Well, I think yes and no. While it's not true that the church hates anyone, it is true that we have responded to the issue of our day has been less than loving. In other words, even though we Christians have always insisted on grace and love being the very core of our faith, our actions and responses to the challenges of modern society have not reflected these core aspects, have they? I was on Facebook this morning. You know, I go on Facebook in the morning to get my news. That might scare some of you, but I, I need to know what's going on and what people are talking about, right? And, you know, you go to some other sources, but inevitably I always find the best news is on Facebook. Don't quote me on that. Um, don't worry about it either, because I'm being totally facetious. But it's remarkable how God sets things up um, in my own life. And so this morning I was on there, and a very good uh, friend of mine, a young man that I've been ministering to uh, for quite a while, who fits within this category that I'm talking about, he posted something about, and, and, and you know, we're all adults here, so I'm just going to say it, it, it. He's posting about his tribe where there was yet another scandal in their denomination about clergy abusing children. You know what that picture looks like, right? It's awful, isn't it? I mean, it makes me sick. I mean, there's something deep down inside of me that just gets, just, I just get mad. I just get mad. I really do. I want to get the bishop's shepherd staff and go whip somebody with it. I really do. I mean, that's just me. And then inevitably there was that comment. And I knew it was going to be there. There was 40 comments that he had posted. And you know what comment came right up at the very top? All religions should be done away with. Christians hate LGBT people. That's what was there. And I said, there it is again. It's not true. It's absolutely not true. And as the comments unfolded, what was the heart cry? The heart cry was justice. They were wanting justice. So how do we respond? How do we as Christians really understand and respond? And I want to suggest this morning the Bible has beautiful, beautiful, wonderful ways of responding and describing, but we need to do better work. So this morning we're going to look at a context, and the context is Matthew 25, 31 through 46. 
And we're going to look at this passage because this passage has a remarkable, remarkable description of justice. And, and so let me just take you right to it, and then we're going to get into it and look at a couple of different verses throughout this text. Because in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, let me just give you the whole setting as it's happening, okay? Jesus the radical has gone into Jerusalem and he has really riled everybody up, right? He's gone in there. This is at the very end. And Matthew 31 through 46 is that passage of scripture that occurs right before the passion. So this is the very last thing in communication studies. When I did my undergrad, they said, Jonathan, people generally remember the first thing you said and the last thing you said, right? And so this is the very last thing that Jesus is saying right before he's crucified. It's awesome. And so this is what he says. He says, at the end of time, the great king, that is Jesus, will be there and and all the people will be gathered. And he uses the illustration of sheep and goats. And that we all be gathered together for judgment. And then he goes into that story and he says, what will be the defining Character traits that will define and make the difference between the sheep and the goats. That's the story, okay? The king passing judgment. Now, keep that in mind. Because we want to do, what we want to do is we want to get into the heart of Jesus as he's teaching this. Because the Matthew 24 and 25, this, these two chapters make up the final teaching of Jesus before he goes into his passion. And so what happens is Jesus, he's gone around and he's actually looked at the temple and he looks at the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, you can tear this temple down and I'll build it up in three days. And they're like, whatever, it took 46 years to build this thing. Three days? blasphemy. And so they leave Jerusalem. The scribes and the Pharisees are said that they're ready to kill him, and they're now conspiring how to do it. So he takes his disciples, and he descends up to the Mount of Olives. Now, I had the chance to go to the Mount of Olives uh, in my, when I was a teenager. Ooh, there's a step there. And... Um, it was a great experience. And so one of the first stops that we did, we got off the plane after two days of traveling and uh, we went up to the Mount of Olives and we overlooked the city of Jerusalem. It was really beautiful. And uh, of course, the tour guide is there and he's telling us about this. And he said that most likely this is the spot that Jesus is there right um, as he's teaching the disciples And listen to what he says. And I can imagine Jesus now looking out at the great city of Jerusalem. And in in chapter 23 of verses 37, listen to what he says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. What an indictment against the city. The great city of Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of David, the absolute, the absolute epicenter of Israel's worship, the city that contained the temple, the very presence of God in the Old Testament. And here he is saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often? Now, now listen to the heart of Jesus, okay? Listen to the heart of Jesus. He's just given us this charge here of what has happened. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. The charge of injustice. 
What is the great injustice? Here's the king, the king of kings, right? And he's looking over the city. He's looking over the city of Jerusalem. And he's charging them. And that's what I think is happening here in this text. It's not Jesus defeated or Jesus lamenting. This is the great King of kings and the Lord of lords who descends up to the mountain and he looks out at the city and he charges them with injustice. How do I know? Because preceding this verse, in chapter 23, listen to this. He says in verse 34, 35, this is why I'm sending you. This is why I am sending you prophets, sages, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. So all the righteous blood shed on the earth will be charged to you. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. What is Jesus charging them with? Killing the righteous. Killing the righteous. It's as if the great king who has dispatched his ambassadors, his heralds of the gospel, dispatched them to the city. And how did they respond? They killed the messenger. And Jesus is saying injustice. Unjust, unjust, unjust. He's put the city on trial. How Will it respond? This morning to help us make sense of everything that is happening. We want to answer a question. And the question that we want to answer is, what does the word righteous mean? And who is righteous? Returning to Mark 25, 31 through 46. Notice verse 46, the very last verse of that passage in your worship guide. And these will go away internal to internal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The judgment of God is eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. At the very end. So how is he going to define it? How is he going to make the decision between the sheep and the goats? Where is justice in this? To answer that question, we must understand this word righteous. We want to understand what it means. And I am going to go as far this morning as to suggest a better translation of this verse. And by the way, I'm not a New Testament scholar. I'm a pastor. And and so sometimes I I get really nervous suggesting little word adjustments. But this one I'm a little bit passionate about. Because the word that we're going to look at for righteous also means just. Just. And its derivatives, justice. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a, 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 a Greek education. So you walk away today and you say, hmm, that's interesting. All right, and here it is. Are you ready? The Greek word being used here for righteous is dikaos. And it's part of a group of words known as the dike word family. And it carries with this understanding of punishment, right? Penalty or justice. And that's what we think of, right? With justice. When we say we want justice, what is it that we want? We want punishment. 
And in fact, I dare say that that is what we think of justice in our system, right? Even the judicial system, right? We make a wrong right usually by punishing the wrongdoer, right? But in the Greek words, those, the word for just and righteous, it's all sort of meshed together. Sometimes, beloved, what we have to remember is that our English translations, although they're wonderful and I think they're, 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 they're faithful to the gospel, that sometimes we don't capture all the nuance of meanings. And so one of the biggest problems with the word righteous today is, is not so much the word righteous, but it's, far, it's strayed far from what it intentionally and originally meant. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, often the words for justice... Is the same word dikaos. In the Greco-Roman world, the time of Christ, a dikaos person was one who, listen to this, upheld the norms of society, especially in public service, but also in relationship to one another. It'd be right to say, he's a just man. He's a just man. Sometimes we use the word righteous, but... How many times have you heard the phrase, gosh, she's so self-righteous, right? What does that is? It, it, see, because the problem with righteous what, is that we've limited in our vocabularies now to meaning just moral standards, right? Ethics. And pejoratively or negatively, he's, we've used it as sort of a religious person, right? Self-righteous. I was doing a little research on Urban Dictionary, which, by the way, is my go-to resource for trying to figure out how words are used. And I, and I don't know. Joey, you're from California. Maybe you can um, you, you know, confirm this for me, all right? But, you know, hey, we're a small church, okay? So you're going to get called out in the, in the service. Um, I mean, I just, but you're all open for everything, all right? It's part of me just keeping you awake. But I was reading this that uh, apparently surfers sometimes will use the word righteous this way. Dude, those waves were righteous. What? Have you ever heard that phrase? Oh, you're shaking your head, right? He's righteous. And I was reading it, and, and the definition is awesome. So we have gone far away from justice, have we not? I mean, you know, dude, it was just, man. Those waves were totally just, meaning that his day went exactly the way that he wanted. Because imagine if those waves were flat. Dude, it was so unjust. No justice today. Can you imagine? And that's the problem with language and words. We get lost. So we come into church and we say, oh yes, we're righteous, yes. And somebody who may not even know what that word means in our context will listen to it and say, huh? We're awesome? Gosh, they're so self-righteous. <laughs> you see how all that word just gets kind of... So we need to recover this word because this word is so important and it's going to help us unlock our culture. And unlock the gospel for a younger generation that is saying, where is justice? And to say to a younger generation, to say, look, it's not just about punishment, but I'm going to suggest to you this morning that it's about restoration. Let's see if I can prove it, okay? Let's see if I can prove it. So moving on, we're going to look at uh, what Jesus has done. And notice that the whole text, the whole emphasis of, of, of verses of chapter 25 that we have looked at so far has been in the context of Jesus giving justice, right? Administering justice. 
Notice verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And listen to how the sheep respond. The sheep respond almost in a surprising way. Notice they say, when did we do this? It's amazing how these verses sound strikingly familiar to Luke 4, 18 through 19 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago where he's come to proclaim liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, healing to the sick, good news to the poor. This word restoration, I think, is what is being brought in. Notice that the righteous, notice the just, how they're responding. They're doing something. It is a faith that is alive. Restorative. But look at the goats. The goats respond in the same way. Verse 40. Excuse me. That was how the king responds, verse 40. Moving a little further down, notice how the unjust respond. The respondent said, when did we not do these things? And he says, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. What is surprising about what is being described here is not so much faith or intellectual Ascent. But it's about restoration. It's about compassion. There's that word again. And even generosity. Which leads us to this question this morning. Why does God despise injustice so much? Because it's opposite of His character. God's love for the world led Him to intervene into the world by sending His Son. So our measurement for justice isn't what is fair and equitable, but rather our measurement of justice is restoration. Listen to our core value for just a moment as we define justice here. Because of human pride and rebellion, God's justice demanded intervention for humanity incapable of helping themselves Because God acted on behalf of the world, we desire to act on behalf of others. What is the single greatest action that you can do for another person? Let me suggest something to you. It's not fixing their problem, but it's introducing them to Jesus. Now, how do we even unpack all of that? Well, we don't have time to do it today. But let me just give you a snapshot of how it will look. If you turn in your worship guys and look at our second reading this morning. From Romans 3, 21 through 26. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to substitute two words. I'm going to substitute the word righteousness with justice and righteous with just. Now listen to this text afresh. But now apart from the law, the justice of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The justice of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
They are justified, which is the same word that we're looking at, freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as an atoning sacrifice in His blood, received through faith to demonstrate His justice. Because in His restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented Him to demonstrate His justice at the present time so that He would be just and declare just the one who has faith in Jesus. Just, just, justice. You see, the very core of our faith is justice. Listen to the gospel from Paul in Romans 1, 16 through 17 now, doing a similar thing, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the justice of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the just will live by faith. God's justice liberates us, sets us free to love God and to love our neighbors and to love ourselves. And the very measurement of this great commandment is how that justice is being reflected in our lives. How we love one another. How we love ourselves. I actually think that that's Jesus' point in this parable. It's not even a parable, it's, it's a teaching between the sheep and the goats. He's saying, you, you, you love me? You say that you follow me? Did you do it to the least of these? How did God, in His justice, solve the problems of the world? He sent His Son. But now here's what's so interesting, beloved. Now listen to me very carefully. This is so important in this conversation. Because what has happened is, is within Christianity, and I'm going to use a word, and, I, and I'm going to use it very technically, okay? Um, the, word, the word is liberal, and, and that's a technical word. It's not associated with any kind of politics. It's liberal Christianity. They call themselves that. And in that movement, what they say is that how could you say that God is loving when He brutally sent His Son to death? Punitive justice. The response has always been, well, no, in God's mercy and love, I want to suggest that we take that one further. God's justice wasn't demonstrated through the crucifixion only, but also through the resurrection. So critical. That the measurement of justice wasn't in the act of crucifixion, but it was in the whole act of resurrection. So that justice is not just punitive, it is restorative. True justice, true justice that we're longing for, we're desiring for, is the kingdom of God to come into this world and to right wrongs. It always has been that way. Where we're eagerly waiting and hoping for the return of Christ. So how do we in that time between this and next we take that person who's hurting and saying, I just wanted justice, I just wanted justice, I just wanted justice, and I say, my heart bleeds and I understand. And I can't fix everything today. 
but I can walk with you. And I can point you to the one who one day will right every single wrong. And that's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is justice. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much that's been left on the table of my thoughts and prayers and notes. But yet this is so important, Lord, that we learn to listen to what people are asking for and that we come back to your scripture, Lord, and see the incredible buffet that you have displayed for us, your heart and compassion and love and justice. And I pray, Father, that as we learn how to better think about the problems in this world and the solutions that we propose, the Father, that we would understand that the ultimate solution is in your justice alone. You have showed us, O oh Lord, what you require to act justly and to walk humbly before you. And we pray, Father, that, that in our hearts, that we would not shy away from those who demand justice, but we would also understand, Lord, that the whole world demanded justice and you answered by sending your Son, Jesus. And that's not a call of a, a way of getting away from things, Lord, but you're calling us into the solution. And I pray, Father, that we would understand in deeper ways the truth of your word as it challenges us. Lord, I pray for a whole generation that has turned their back on you. And I pray, Father, that they would hear the words of the gospel through fresh ears, the very ears that you have programmed them with, have given them, Lord, to understand your gospel in new, fresh ways. I pray, Father, that we would be faithful in learning how to communicate that. Your timeless truth, Lord. Your timeless truth. We thank you for your love, God. And we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives as you continually restore us and are restoring us and will restore us, O oh God, to you. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed this message that I shared with you this morning. And honestly, as I think about it, as I reflect on this, the one thing I can say is this, is that it's a work in progress. Like I said at the very beginning of the show, even, even after I preached that sermon, um, even as early as today, I begin to see some new insights emerging um, in the Gospels and in the, in the Bible that it's really transforming the way that I'm thinking about not just the Christian life, but and, and not even just how we, we love a particular people group. I'm talking about how we understand God, ultimately as a God of justice. And I don't think that that's at all uh, anything that we are we conservative folk are are really even i would say comfortable talking about but i want to suggest and i also want to say that justice flows out of god 
because it's a it's it's a restorative justice. And I hope that that's what you took away from it. But now, ladies and gentlemen, we come to the very end. And I really just want to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of Grace Nation. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the saints be with you now and always. Amen. on fire over creative production for show notes links and more please visit mygracenation.com